If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day. Dear Father, fill us. Our Holy Spirit, start with our hearts and move from there until every aspect of our life is lived in glory for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read from the Gospel of Matthew. It tells a story of, of a young man who seemingly has it all and comes to Jesus and he asks a question. Someone came to Jesus with this question, teacher, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbors yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. Well, what else must I do? Jesus told told him, if you want to be perfect, Go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is impossible. Everything is possible. And then these two brief parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything and he bought it. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So the young man... We know nothing about him until he comes up and asks this question of Jesus. And one wonders how long he had been watching Jesus and listening to him. Not just Jesus, but Jesus is there and he has his followers. He's got his disciples, of course. And the disciples, some of them were married at the time. They must have had their kids. And the crowds that came listened intently. And there was something going on. One wonders, what did the young man see? 
What did he see? What was it that he was so impacted by? Why was he attracted? What was it that drew him? That he actually wanted to figure out, find out, how do I, how do I get on board with this whole thing? I don't believe his question was really about how do I get to heaven? But how do I, how do I enter into what I see happening? This reality that is the kingdom of God that somehow I'm sensing and seeing. In my high school days and young life, remember them using the phrase that Christianity is inherently attractive, inherently attractive, that the church should be a place that has an inherent attraction to it, about it, and not just because of our, the way we think, but because of what people might see, what they might experience that they might see as this young man saw something that drew him. So he poses the question, so what have I got to do to get on board with this thing? Now, <clears throat> mind you, I don't believe it was just because he was rich. It could have been something else. It could have been that um, he really loved that wineskin. It could have been any number of things that, that he held on to as that which defined him. Could have been anything. But in this case, it was his stuff. He had all kinds of good stuff. And Jesus said, well, you know, it's, it's good you've, you've obeyed all the commandments. That's, that's a really good thing. But now what you have to do is you've got to be set free. You've got to cut yourself loose. You've got to give all that away. And it says that he went away sad. He had to go back. He had to go back to his palace. He had to go back to his country club. He had to go back to all of his stuff. He went away sad. While he was walking away sad, he should have realized, <laughs> I'm sad. I haven't lost a thing here. Why am I sad? I'm going back to all the stuff I know so well, and you know, I've got, I've got my computer waiting at home, and I, you know, I've got my, my Ferrari got all my stuff, why am I sad? Why am I sad? But he didn't ask that question, at least not that we know of, perhaps until later. And so it is, it's so hard sometimes to, to let go of the stuff that holds us. I spoke to one woman who had divorced her husband several years earlier and, and said his his pattern, his pattern that lives on to this day, long after a second divorce and probably heading into a third, his pattern was get drunk, get laid, repeat. Sad. 
sad. If he had come to Jesus that day, Jesus would have said, all you got to do, all you got to do, turn your back on all that stuff. Because that's bondage. That's holding you back. There's no freedom in that. So the man goes away sad. And I like to think we, it's a story that doesn't have an ending, really, because ordinarily people come to Jesus and they don't go away sad. They, they go away changed. But we just don't know the end of the story. What we have to believe is all that stuff that didn't satisfy before wasn't going to satisfy anymore. And now because he had actually experienced the person of Christ and the joy that surrounded him, the exuberance of those people, the happiness, the, the, the humor, the goofing around of all those crowds, the jocularity of, of people being together and enjoying one another, He's alone with his stuff. And I believe that the, the seed of redemption had been planted in his heart. Perhaps. I like to think of happy endings. But this is contrasted to the stories of those other two. So the man is, one man's working in a field and all of a sudden, he stubs his toe or his plow on something, finds out there's a treasure buried, and with joy, he goes out and sells everything. With excitement, he goes and sells all of it. He dumps everything and picks up that plot of dirt. And likewise, the merchant looking for pearls, finds the pearl of great price, and he unloads everything, and with joy, he trades everything that he has, everything that he is, and acquires that pearl. And that is not to be interpreted materialistically as if treasure was the goal, as if the pearl was the goal. Those were metaphors for the same reality that the rich young man turned away from, the reality of the kingdom a reality of that which is so good and, and, and so Im impelling. C.S. Lewis, pardon me, I'm so used to quoting C.S. Lewis. John Steinbeck has a long story that is a short story. It's called The Pearl. Story of a young couple on the coast of Baja, California with their little baby boy. And he's out one day and he's, he's diving for pearls. And under a rock, he finds an old oyster. And he thinks he catches a glint of sunlight flashing off that which is inside this old oyster. And he pulls it out and it is what they call the, the pearl of the world. A large, beautiful, magnificent pearl. And everyone hears about it. As Steinbeck puts it, he said, news in small towns travel faster than little boys running. And they all hear about it. But this is what he says. All manner of people grew interested in Kino, the young man. 
people with things to sell and people with favors to ask. Kino had found the pearl of the world, the essence of pearl mixed with essence of men and a curious dark residue was precipitated. Every man suddenly became related to Kino's pearl. And Kino's pearl went into the dreams and the speculations and the schemes, the plans, the futures, the wishes, the needs, the lusts, the hungers of everyone. And only one person stood in the way and that was Kino. So he became curiously every man's enemy. The news stirred up something infinitely black and evil in the town. The black distillate was like a scorpion or like hunger in the smell of food or like loneliness when love is withheld. The poison sacks of the town began to manufacture venom and the town swelled and puffed with the perfume of it. So the pearl, that material thing that suddenly took a poor man and made him rich, suddenly all the townspeople are thinking, how can this impact me? How can I benefit from this? How can I get something out of this? And so he, Kino, became the enemy. That's not at all foreign to us. We know how that is. We know how people can talk about Jeff Bezos. We know how people can talk about Warren Buffett. Those who have, by hard work or good fortune or whatever it may be, have acquired the pearl, all of a sudden they're the enemy. And how can their pearl impact me? And how can I benefit from his good fortune? And should he have such good fortune when I don't? And so the sacks fill with venom. And they become the enemy. None of that, none of that constitutes the pearl of great price. None of that can constitutes that which is of redeeming and pure and sure value. Because what is this really all about? But the, the ability to rec recognize that which is of true value in life. What is really important? Steinbeck's story starts with, with himself, Kino, and his wife, Juana, and their little boy, Coyotito, asleep in a little box. And it's a tender, beautiful vision of this family together. They have nothing, and they have everything. Beautiful vision of this family who are so very in love. It's a, it's a, a center of love. And they, they recognize that value. And when that pearl comes into their life, something has been drained from the value of what they have. It's the ability to recognize the real value of things. The, the young man, when he came to Jesus, Jesus gave him a glimpse by what was going around him, on around him, of that which was of true value. But he couldn't see it. He felt it, but it, the price was just too much. It was 
too terrifying. That was the language Jordan Peterson used in that video this morning. He wasn't even sure quite why he believed. And he said, if you really fully believe, it's kind of terrifying. Because maybe Jesus would have said to Jordan Peterson, in order to follow me, you've got to leave that academic world. You've got to leave all your academic colleagues. Who knows? But he's one who, with tears in his eyes, recognized the real value of what it means to appropriate the real gifts of God that he has for us. Well, I got together in Southern California with Bruce Heiliger. He was one of the forwards. I was center at Poly High. He was one of the forwards. He went to UC Irvine. I went to UC Santa Barbara. Wonderful man. He took over his father's business and transformed it into a construction business that was renovating businesses on the inside of the interiors of businesses when they would buy new space and they would do the renovations. And Bruce married his high school sweetheart, Bruce and Kathy, been married for 47 years. And I, I made contact with him, told him I wanted to see him. And so I <clears throat> drove up southwest of Riverside. And there's a, a, a reservoir there called Lake Matthews. It's a reservoir off the Colorado River that feeds the water needs of Los Angeles. So it's open. No houses, no boats, no nothing around. It's a beautiful, pristine body of water. And they had a house that was on a hilltop overlooking Lake Matthews and the hills surrounding the lake. And then over the San Gabriel Valley, which is populated by a, over a million people. And then on the far side of the valley, it was enclosed by 10,000-foot Mount Baldy and then 12,000-foot Mount San Gorgonio, and 11,000-foot Mount San Jacinto. And I made my way up there and looked out. I was aghast. I was appalled at how incredibly beautiful this place was. And the home was owned by a man who was an artist, and his wife was a botanist, and they had plants everywhere, and he had, he had statues everywhere. They had replaced all the flooring with chiseled marble, and they had wrought iron. It was just this beautiful, palatial place, gorgeous. And then I heard the story. In 2008, because of the crash, Bruce's business crashed with it, lost all of his clients, and he went to work with his competitor. All this time, he had never put any money away for retirement. And unlike me, he was getting old. <laughs> and they, they were worried. They were wondering just what to do about this. And then Kathy tells me that, they had, that she had a dream. She had this odd dream that she didn't really know what to do with. She said she was simply sitting in a chair, and suddenly, in her lap, she was holding a large pearl. No interpretation, just a pearl. And she and Bruce had dreamed about having a place overlooking Saint, uh, pardon me, Lake Matthews. 
And one thing led to another. And the house that they now have had gone underwater with the financial crisis. That couple that lived there were way overextended. They owed far more on that house than the house was worth. And this magnificent property, with a view unlike I had ever seen in my years in Southern California, this magnificent property they purchased for $525,000. And if I could walk you up to that property, you would say, no, no way, no way. As I sat there talking with them, I thought, oh, if I had a couple million dollars or, or more, I, I, would, I would try to get this. It's so beautiful, so incredibly gorgeous. But they told me they want to sell it. They talked to a realtor, said that they could sell it for 1.7, something in that neighborhood, and that they would then have what they needed to retire. And I was so impressed because the center of their life was not the pearl. The center of the life was the pearl of great price, was doing what they needed to do with their life to glorify God and to make sure that they were okay in their waning years. That property which they could hold on to, they would let it go. And even as they had it, they used it as a retreat for people who were struggling and for pastors who needed some time away. But it was simply a way station for them. This life is a way station for all of us. And when we can recognize the real true value of our relationship with God through Christ and then our relationship with one another. Yes, even people with whom we disagree, they are not our enemies. They are our neighbors. And we can love them. And we can live lives that are, that are infused with the reality of God's love for for us and for one another. That's a pearl of great price. You bow with me in prayer. So dear Lord, what is it that we must relinquish? We can have empty hands to receive what you would fill those hands with. What is it that we must let go of so that we can joyfully receive that which you have prepared for us? Lord God, continue to move on us because you love us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. 
If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.